Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a, well, what have we here edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Pause, deep breath, and soak it in. This last week, Alabama football was a lot like Smokey and the Bandit. We have a long way to go and a short time to get there. We're going to do what they say can't be done. And if we're honest... Some of the we are also some of the they. Hand raised, if Auburn can stop Alabama for nearly 59 minutes, God, what can Georgia do? We knew Alabama's best could be enough to win the game, but that's a big ask. We haven't seen it all season for a full 60. It's a big if. The if is huge. If Alabama could get a lead, The defense maybe can hold Georgia, but if I had two wheels, I'd be a bicycle. The irony, though, is pure delicious, or yummy if you prefer. Thank you, Auburn, for providing the hard rock bottom from which this tight team could rebound. Breaking your hearts and positioning Alabama to shatter, yet again, a fresh set of bulldog dreams. Yummy, yes, a yummy and gloriously ironic twofer. Exhale, bask in it while we talk through some of the highlights plus some of the watch items. Offense, let's do this. Let's start as we often do with Bryce Young. Bryce had an outstanding day. Uh, Everyone talks about Heisman moments and no doubt Bryce had his Heisman moment or should we say yet another Heisman moment Saturday in the SEC championship against the Georgia Bulldogs. He was 26 of 44, which itself is not outstanding. But when you know the Alabama offense is going to run through the quarterback and they're going to throw the ball 40, 45, 50 times, uh, that actually ends up being pretty good numbers. Uh, the defense knows what what's coming. And uh, the Georgia defense, as vaunted uh, as, as it was, was unable to stop it. Uh, Bryce Young threw for 421 yards, three touchdowns, and another 40 yards uh, rushing and a touchdown. And uh, say magnifique the option to Brian Robinson. Designed or not, Bill O'Brien, he needs to be taking notes. He's got to write that down. Bryce played with poise upon poise. Uh, his deep ball accuracy, which was a question earlier in the season, just was right on the money all day long. Uh, Bryce demonstrates an ice water in the veins that really sets the pace for the offense. The entire unit just draws confidence uh, from him and that elevates everyone's play. We've talked about leaders. Who's going to be the leader? And Bryce may, be not, may not be the most extrovert uh, of the players on the team, but uh, the team draws confidence from him, and uh, he's inspirational to the team in that way. I, I believe that that's true, and uh, as such, he's certainly 
uh, certainly as a leader. I think the team knows, and I think Alabama fans uh, realize as well, with Bryce pulling the trigger, this team, this team could beat anyone. And uh, we're going to see Bryce, I think, uh, either on a, on a sort of uh, remote platform or truly on the platform in New York. I do believe he's going to win the Heisman. And uh, I've not done all the research on Heisman winners, other teams, all of that stuff. Uh, I think only one time before has a team had consecutive Heisman winners. And uh, that was Archie Griffith at Ohio State, who won it uh, two times in a row. Uh, Alabama is going to have multiple finalists last year. Uh, I think a winner again this year and potentially multiple finalists uh, this year with with Will Anderson. Uh, It's truly a testament to the program that Saban has built, uh, the character and quality and performance capabilities of the individuals that uh, run through the Alabama program. It's uh, it's it's damn impressive. Let's just call it that. Uh, let's talk about the offensive line. And uh, holy cow, uh, was this the best game of the season by the offensive line? I think we talk about needing Alabama to play its best game to win. That's inclusive of the offensive line. I honestly don't think anyone felt that Alabama's offensive line that their best game would be quite this good. Zero sacks allowed. Uh, truly incredible. Uh, there was a lot of talk about the crowd, especially at Auburn, impacting the the snap count and the tackles here in the snap count. And maybe that led to pressure. Maybe, uh, you know, there's probably something a little bit to that. Uh, we could talk about, uh, I guess, then that must also be true at Texas A&M, another, another loud stadium. But what about LSU in in Tuscaloosa. What about the first play of the game where the right tackle gets beat uh, against uh, against Mercer? Uh, I think the offensive line has looked very, very poor uh, in points through the season. And the quality of play, the performance uh, that this that this unit uh, exhibited or demonstrated on Saturday against Georgia was completely unexpected. And, uh, and it itself was was uh, phenomenal. Like I said, I think the crowd, uh, less impact on the snap counts. Yeah, I think there's truth there. Uh, Improved recognition uh, based on film study, based on practice, based on uh, having a greater understanding perhaps of what Georgia was going to throw at them. Yes, I think that played a role. Uh, There was a new starting five. And let's think about this. We're in the SEC championship game, and Alabama is starting a new five at that point in the season. And that's impressive too. I think the starting five for this game really – uh, now, it was the same starting five that finished the Auburn game. So there was definitely some carryover. And we saw this this unit, we're seeing it almost gel in, in real time. Uh, we saw that against Auburn. Uh, we know that this week, uh, between games, the offensive line put in a lot of work, a lot of extra film study. And, um, and, and against Georgia, they seem just almost fully gelled. Uh, Seth McLaughlin is sort of a, a William Vallejos at center. He's not going to win any beauty contests in terms of uh, how he stacks up uh, walking walking down the the field with the other offensive line uh, linemen, but he, the dude can just play. He just does work, and so hats off to McLaughlin in that uh, in that respect. And then Chris Owens, I, you know, I think he benefited by being benched. Uh, some players that that it's it takes that motivation, and when he was benched, uh, I think that was a, a shot to his ego. And he did have an opportunity, and we never root for injury, uh, but uh, some some injury uh, I think played a role in getting him back onto the field. And he demonstrated that I'm not going to let this opportunity uh, uh, you know fall by the wayside. I'm a six year player. Uh, it took me this long to get a starting job, and then I lost it. I'm not going to lose it again because there is not uh, there are no more chances. This is the it, and uh, I think that manifest in uh, Chris Owens' game which I, I think is phenomenal. But again, we talk about the offensive line, zero sacks uh, from a DL that, uh, you know, technically I think they were registered as lethal uh, in the uh, in the sort of the greater Atlanta area. So hats off to the offensive line. Let's talk about the wide receivers and the wide receiver play. I mean, let's call it what it is. It begins and ends with Jamison Williams. He had seven receptions for a buck 84, uh, two touchdowns. I think this Alabama team, without the electricity, Without the dynamic playmaking ability, without the downfield threat, the stretch the field threat that Jamison brings, this is a four-loss team. We don't not beat Georgia. We don't get to play Georgia if Jamison Williamson 
uh, Williams is is not on the team. Uh, I, I just think that's uh, I think that's fact. The first touchdown that Alabama scored, the sixty-seven yard, it was a it was a square in. And uh, fortunately, this is a game I had an opportunity, thanks, Bill, uh, to be at the stadium with seats and the perspective that uh, looking down on the field, uh, as soon as he as soon has uh, JMO took the route, uh, the square in and the ball was in the air and he caught it. I stood up and did a, a Lane Kiffin imitation. I knew that uh, that there was one guy that had a chance to beat him. But with JMO's speed, he wasn't he was not going to get caught. And uh, he certainly wasn't. And uh, a nice 67 yard touchdown there was was certainly impressive. It was more than just the touchdown. It was more than just the seven points. Of course, we needed those. Of course, that's important. Of course, it's a big play. But psychologically, the value of that play was more than just the seven points. Uh, you can look at the score differential. It, it's, we, we won by more than seven. Alabama did. Uh, but that touchdown, that play, specifically that big of a strike uh, against a double coverage and the speed that's almost indefensible when it has a chance to, to wind up and get going. It was worth more than the seven points. That touchdown answered Georgia taking a 10-point lead. There had been a little bit of nip and tuck very early in the game. Georgia jumped out to a three-point lead. Alabama couldn't answer. A little bit of nip and tuck. Georgia scored a touchdown to, to make it 10 right at the end of the, the first quarter. And it felt like, and you could hear it in the Georgia crowd, and you could see it in the Georgia fans, it felt like this game might just start to get away from Alabama. And that touchdown pulled it back to a three-point game. You could almost see, you could see, there was no almost, you could see in the Georgia fans, in the stadium, the oh-no factor, the self-defeatism almost start to bubble up and percolate. Their team's still winning, but you could see that. You could sense that. You could smell that off of them almost. At the same time, you could hear and feel and sense the oh yes from the Alabama fans. That touchdown was one of five straight possessions where Alabama scored. You could sense the team was invigorated by that. Again, it's more than just the seven points because of of what it led, just the eruption that it allowed uh, from the Alabama offense. It proved that Georgia did not have an answer for Jamison Williams. It did not have an answer for his speed. We talked a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jamison had a big play against Arkansas, and it was a play where he had one-on-one coverage. They had one-on-one coverage from on the outside, but there was a uh, it was a two-high safety. And JMO came off the route, ran a post, and split the safety on that side as well as the corner that was on him. And the ball was perfectly placed. The step with which he broke through, split the covers, the ball was delivered, and he scored a touchdown. It's practically an indefensible play. Well, it was a different route but it was a similar sort of event uh, against Georgia. It proved that if he can get into the open field, catch the ball, and and have an option to have an opportunity to get up to speed, he's indefensible. It's indefensible. And so on the square end where he caught the ball, turned it upfield, the players were just off of him enough that he had the speed and the angle to turn it up. And I think Georgia and Georgia fans realized we don't have an answer for that. We, we As good as we are, Georgia, as good as their defense is, they don't have an answer for that kind of speed uh, over the top. And so, again, I thought touchdown was worth more uh, than seven points. Uh, we talked about five straight possessions, scoring possessions, uh, possessions where Alabama scored uh, coming off of that. Uh, it led to a 24-point second quarter. And perhaps one of the more amazing stats uh, in this uh, football season Georgia had had uh, only allowed 24 points in a game only once all season, and Alabama erupted for 24 points in the second quarter. Uh, I think that really served to sort of quiet quiet and di- and diminish the the level of anticipation, or at least alter the specific anticipation for Georgia fans uh, during the game. And it really uh, it really sprung board a a lead the uh, that fourth uh, that second quarter did. Uh, a lead uh, that was unrelinquished. Uh, Georgia came back at one point and tied it at 17, but never did they lead again. And again, in the stands, you could sense it. Their fans just started to wilt. As vicious as it sounds, boy, it was it was delicious to watch. 
uh, or yummy, as, as Saban said in uh, in his postgame presser, which, hey, that's worth the price of admission. Uh, who, who expected to see that? And if you've not seen it, or maybe if you've only seen the television version, you have to go watch the full press conference or, or, or at least watch that in the context of, of the press conference. When they clip it for just the snippet on TV, he says it and he still looks very serious and stern and, and, you know, very Saban in, in that regard. When you watch it through, there's, there's a, a, a sort of a pause. And then he gets this Cheshire cat grin on his face. He's sitting at the sort of the, uh, the table with Jordan battle and Bryce young. And he looks over at Bryce and he has this huge smile on his face. Like I got him. It was funny. And they're all laughing. The next media guy that asks a question sort of plays into it as well and says, I don't know how to follow that. And everybody kind of laughs again. And so the snippet that they show, while it's funny, it, it really is continues to show Saban is, is you know, a hard ass. It, it, he still has a stern look. But in the full context of it, it's even funnier. And, uh, and then you get to see uh, a little bit of Saban's personality. So I strongly advise that you check that out. Uh, let's talk about Mechie again. Another, we talked about him being a dangerous workman, right? Mechie uh, was six for 97 yards on the day. He had a touchdown. He had a critical touchdown that uh, helped put Alabama uh, in the lead. And then he had a long play of 40 yards, which was just another back-breaking play uh, for the Alabama offense. Unfortunately, Mechie went down with a knee injury. It looked like a non-contact uh, knee injury. And so he was down, and it's sort of irony of irony is as, as that play uh, is that play plays out. Bryce Young scrambles uh, right almost to where Mechie is. That's just where there's open space uh, f- for Bryce to Young. And as he goes down, he fumbles, and he's able to pull it back in, which is probably the the most underrated uh, sort of non-discussed play of the game. But it was interesting where <laughs> Mechie Mechie almost like looked up and saw him coming and tried to roll out of the way, but. Uh, uh, aside from the humor uh, there, Mechie is an incredible loss, and it's, it's going to take a lot for the Alabama team to uh, to replace him. Uh, other receivers having big days, and, and this leads into sort of the the, uh, the Mechie sort of backfill, but but Slade, Billingsley, uh, Treshawn Holden, uh, Cam, and Ja'Cory all had uh, just really important uh, catches. And some of these guys, perhaps some of the youngsters, uh, Jojo, Ajay, uh, Baker, uh, some of these guys are going to have to step up. I think it's probably even more than one player stepping up for Mechie. But that will be that I think will be interesting to see what happens. Uh, Alabama has multiple weeks to prepare for the first round in the playoffs, and we're going to get to what's next in a moment. But there's a little bit, uh, as Alabama fans, relief that you know, Mechie's not coming back for the game, but we have time to prepare. And how do we uh, how does the Alabama offense sort of alter their attack to prepare for uh, for losing Mechie? I think the I think the tight ends uh, become weapons. We've mentioned much earlier in the season that the uh, the Alabama offense seems to flow more smoothly when the when the tight ends are playing a role. So I think there's an opportunity there. And again, some of the youngsters, uh, Treshawn Holden had a couple nice grabs. Uh, Jacory uh, had a grab against Georgia, but we know he was just a star, one of the stars uh, against Auburn. And we know that there's talented receivers that are struggling to find the field, but maybe this next couple of weeks gives them an opportunity uh, to, to break out and sort of get serious. Uh, Saban talks, talked about getting it to a two game season or what we hope is a, is a, is a two game season. And um, maybe some of that seriousness rubs off on some of those youngsters. And uh, I think with some of these practices, they will have the opportunity to prove that uh, they are worthy of an increased role. So that'll be something interesting to see. And almost by definition, almost by definition, that provides a wrinkle to the Alabama offense that um, that hasn't been exhibited yet this season. So that could be an interesting thing uh, to, to see as well. Let's talk about the running backs. And we know that Georgia had a very stout defense, uh, tough sledding in terms of the running game. Uh, Alabama had uh, more success than most uh, against Georgia running the ball, even though the numbers aren't incredible. Uh, it was still, uh, it was still good success. Uh, I want to talk about Brian Robinson. I think his performance is, his performance was uh, near heroic. 
He had 16 carries for 55 yards, uh, again, which that's not outstanding in and of itself. Uh, but he also had two catches for 16. And he was probably open for half a dozen you know, swing routes or dump-offs that there were other receivers open, so Bryce didn't have to have to drop it off to him. But uh, but Robinson was open significantly more times than he he received the ball, and we'll talk about that talk about that in a minute. Uh, Brian Robinson was hobbled with a hamstring or, or lower leg in, injury. He was doubtful going into the game, or, or at least highly questionable going into the game uh, up until the day before, up until Friday. So the fact that he stepped in and played the way that he did uh, again, nothing short of heroic. And again, tough sledding running against Georgia. And sometimes it's not about all of the yards that you can accumulate, but it's about keeping the defense honest. And I think Alabama ran just enough to keep uh, Georgia honest uh, in terms of, of defense. Uh, one thing I did notice with Brian Robinson, which I thought was really clever in, in terms of personnel deployment, we rotated heavily. Alabama rotated heavily at the running back position, primarily uh, between Robinson and uh, now backup running back Trey Sanders. And what's interesting is Robinson would be in multiple plays at a time, but he would be in to block or he would be in to, you know, maybe step out uh, as an outlet and and, and he would come and, and play the next play. But almost, almost without fail, when we ran Brian Robinson or we threw the ball to him and he carried and he had to exert himself uh, maybe beyond just a, just a block or beyond, you know, rolling out. When he exerted himself with the ball, he would always go uh, to the sideline, almost without fail, and we would rotate in uh, Trey Sanders. And it, it was almost as if, hey, if you only have, Brian Robinson, so many touches in you today because of your injury, then we're going to spread those out. We want to make sure that you have some carries late in the game in, in case we need them. We're not going to burn all of your tank, all of your resources, you know, doubling down in, in the first quarter, in the first half. So I thought that was an interesting sort of deployment tactic. Uh, Trey Sanders himself, I, th- I thought, um, had a decent day. He had six carries for 21 yards. Again, the yards are less important running against Georgia because you can't run against Georgia uh, with continued or sustained success. Uh, but it's about keeping the defensive front honest. Uh, Trey Sanderson, Trey Sanders, uh, actually left the game with a uh, concussion. TV, I don't well, I don't know. I was, I, it looked like it happened near the sideline, or when it happened, he was slow to get up. But he came to the sideline, and it looked like just just maybe the rotation. So I don't know if TV caught it. Not a big deal was was made even amongst the fans because he was able to get up and then and then get to the sideline. But uh, he left with a concussion. And so as we sit here at this recording, as we sit here right now, you know, the irony or, or the disappointment is that Alabama does not have a single injury-free or a single um, healthy running back. And so that's something that, you know, over the next 27 days until the, uh, in, until the first round of the playoffs, that's something we're going to have to hope for a lot of recovery. Brian Robinson should hopefully be much more – uh, healthy uh, coming from the the hamstring, and there's an expectation that Trey Sanders will be uh, improved from a concussion. Those things can linger, and so uh, and it certainly can impact uh, impact his availability for practice. So the thought is within uh, within the next 27 days that both of these guys will get healthy. Maybe Kamar, I, I don't have a report on him necessarily, but uh, it'd be nice if we could get uh, another running back in the mix, but I don't know that we do. But if we can get Robinson and Trey back to relative health, then I think that's going to be good for uh, for Alabama. Uh, it certainly is good that we're not playing someone next week. I don't know how we'd feel the position if we had to play uh, next week. So having some time off, I think, is important there. Uh, just a handful of other observations that uh, I made uh, watching the game. There were multiple times, uh, two or three times, uh, big Kendall Randolph, 85. We all know he's a converted uh, tackle. He's placed tight end, wears 85. Big old boy, can't miss him. There were multiple times where he would line up out wide, and so he would bring a linebacker out with him, and he would he would be lined up uh, out outside. He was a tight end, eligible receiver. They line him up out, outside. Uh, almost every time he did that, they would motion him back in, and he would line up sort of in the wing and block. But I thought the, I thought that was interesting that Alabama did that. That's a little bit of a wrinkle that I don't recall seeing uh, during the season. It's a very subtle wrinkle, but uh, you know they're doing that to get specific looks 
and uh, potential matches from the defense. So I thought that was interesting. I thought as a whole, Alabama was uh, successful attacking the edges, trying to get the defense to go uh, side to side. I don't know that they ever sort of gassed out the Georgia defense. The time of possession was was significantly in favor of Georgia. So I don't know that Alabama necessarily gassed their defense. Plus, Georgia rotated a lot of players. But again, they, they were able to have success attacking the edges and um, creating uh, more one-on-one style matchups and uh, getting the, def- uh, the defense to pursue our running back or wide receiver convert, Christian Leary. The wheel route for him was open all night. I don't think he, he – well, in fact, I do know he did not receive any carries as a running back. He did not receive any touches uh, as a receiver as well. But we have seen him do both, and we have seen him score touchdowns as a sort of a flare out of the backfield. Uh, against Georgia, I think the wheel route would have been open for him, and so that's certainly uh, something to, to watch for. The reverse action, there were a couple plays where uh, there was reverse action and it looked like, uh, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a bunch. It was just two or three, but it looked like the reverse action was was open uh, every time when we faked it. So that's something to think about uh, as well. And the point there, noticing these things, and we didn't exploit it. I thought on the reverse action, I thought we might come out of half and run a play in the first possession after half, and we didn't, and we didn't have to, and so that worked out. But what's, what's compelling when you think about these things that were available, they were available. There's an offensive play, uh, play sheet uh, where those are noted as, as available plays. That's just a true story. What it tells us is that Alabama's offense had more in the tank. There were more things that the Alabama offense could have done. Turns out they didn't need to. And so if we think about, hey, this Georgia team, there's a better than average chance that we're going to face them again. And so – when we present to them some of these same looks and they study the film and they are comfortable with how to uh, diagnose and play defense on the, the play that we ran, maybe some of those opportunities that we didn't exploit will still be available. And so that could be, hey, let's hold these back. If we don't need them today, let's keep them on standby. If we need them today, if we don't need them today, then let's not blow them because we may need them uh, against another opponent. And that other opponent may well be the same Georgia Bulldogs. So that was an interesting sort of thought and uh, uh, thought process from that regard. All right, let's flip the field to defense. And I thought this Alabama defense was really, really good. Not great. I'm not going to go all the way to great, but they were really, really good. This defense allowed 24 points, which depending upon which side of the alley you're sitting on, I think that's actually a pretty good number. Uh, But um you know, we don't like giving up 24 points. They allowed 30 first downs. Now, that's a lot. So they allowed Georgia to move the ball between the 20s. Uh, and, in fact, Georgia racked up 449 yards of total offense. So that's a that's a pretty good number there as well. But this defense had two turnovers. They limited Georgia to three of 12 on third down conversions and two, I believe it was two of four, on uh, fourth down conversions. Uh, this Alabama defense held Georgia uh, – viewed as a ground game attack uh, to 109 rushing yards. Most of those, I think, empty yards. And they sacked Georgia. Uh, uh, they sacked the Georgia quarterback three times. The Georgia offense had four scoring drives, and they averaged seven-plus plays. And so when Georgia did move the ball and score, they had to put in a little bit of work to do that. So four scoring plays, they averaged – seven plays. One was a three-play drive, and so if you look at the other three, then uh, the average would have gone up. Georgia had five drives with no scores that were all shorter than the seven, than, that were all shorter than than seven plays, and that doesn't count the end of half, and so I guess technically it would have been six. And so the defense was really good on average at bottling up the Georgia offense, and so so I thought that uh, that was uh, that was really good to see, and you could start to see Georgia press. And Stetson threw a couple of passes that he shouldn't. Uh, the interceptions that that we've talked to, uh, and you could really start to see the Georgia offense tighten up. And again, you could sense it in their fans too. Uh, and so you've got fans that are at the game that have been to all their games. They have a read on their team, and when they start to get really nervous. Um, that doesn't mean the team feels exactly the same way, but it means this team is doing something or experiencing something or struggling with something in a way that they haven't all season. 
And that just, it just literally just reeked off of the uh, Georgia fans uh, in the game. A uh, couple of, a couple of additional uh, observations. Uh, Bama played lots of regular defense, so four defensive backs. That might be something I don't think Georgia was expecting. Uh, Alabama typically bases out of a nickel. They call it, you know, Saban calls his base uh, four DBs, or he calls that regular a whole lot. But they pretty much, uh, the tie pretty much bases out of the nickel, and that's been true for quite a while. And so very limited snaps all season has Alabama played with four DBs. I think what I think Mercer, they uh, may have played most of the game, just the, just the style of, of play. But against sort of call them regular opponents, uh, certainly conference opponents, Alabama played played, played mostly nickel. Uh, but against Georgia, they played a lot of regular. And I have to think that's something, again, that Georgia wasn't expecting. When Alabama went to nickel, Brian Branch came in as the nickelback. And a handful of times, not very many, but a handful of times, where Alabama went to dime, Daniel Wright was brought in. And so just another interesting observation that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is no Malachi Moore. We've seen Malachi and Brian Branch sort of platoon. Uh, one will play the first half and one will play the second half, which is a weird platoon anyways. But uh, we've gone multiple weeks here where we've not seen Malachi Moore in the secondary, uh, probably getting some reps on special teams. I'm not tracking all of those personnel groupings. But uh, we're not seeing uh, Malachi Moore very much in the secondary, which itself is interesting. We know he has a back injury, and so we don't know if that's tied in. It's just an interesting thing. And it's one of those questions I wish someone would ask in a, in a Saban presser, but uh, I've, I've not seen much of a report uh, of that. Uh, other sort of interesting uh, observations from Alabama's defensive play, Alabama played lots of three defensive linemen. And so uh, instead of Will Anderson and Dallas Turner is, is your sort of your walk up outside linebackers slash defensive ends, uh, we saw Will Anderson and then uh, LeBron Ray playing uh, more of a pure defensive end, so to speak. So that's an interesting thing. I think that uh, that had a lot to do with Georgia's running game. And so we wanted more size to combat the running game. Uh, Will Anderson himself lined up more on the, maybe not percentage, uh, maybe not more than, uh, but more than usual, uh, Will Anderson lined up on the right side of the defense as opposed to the left side uh, of the defense. And so the interesting sort of play there, sort of the chess match within the game, lining up on the right side, he was opposite Georgia's left tackle. And you think, well, that's going to be their best lineman. And that's true, but their left tackle, Jamira, uh, if I'm saying this right, uh, uh, Jemmery Saylor has missed uh, two or three weeks leading up to the SEC championship uh, with uh, with an ankle, uh, sort of a foot injury, and so lining up Will Anderson uh, against him is a is a tough way to come back from injury. And so I, th- I think there was a little gamesmanship going in there. Will Anderson him, himself, another sort of stat stat sheet stuffer, six tackles, one sack, two TFLs, and a quarterback hurry. Again, just continues to put on a clinic, does William Anderson and uh, Will Anderson. And uh, Jalen Moody, uh, middle linebacker, number 42, we saw him run. He plays special teams a lot, and we'll see him late in games uh, situationally. Uh, but he rotated in third, fourth quarter, but he rotated in with the starters, not as not with backups, but with the starters. Uh, he rotated in in short yards, uh, short yardage situations. And I think just his stoutness, against the run was something that uh, uh, Tide fans were, uh, our Tide coaches uh, were going for there. I do want to give hats off. We're talking about Alabama uh, defense, and I do want to give a hats off to Brock Bowers, tight end, Georgia tight end. Holy cow. He's a freshman from Napa, California, and you wouldn't expect uh, an 18-year-old, 19-year-old from Napa, California to walk into the SEC and have such a dominant performance in the championship game, but that's exactly what he did. He had 10 catches, a buck 39 and what time one touchdown uh, almost would have had a second. Uh, we'll talk about DeMarco Hellams, but uh, this dude, this dude can play and Georgia. We talked about this in the Georgia interview, right? You know, they've got an incredible collection of tight ends and to think that a freshman is going to come in and sort of lead the way at the position is certainly impressive. Uh, so hats off to him. He's a tough tight end to cover and uh, he certainly had a big day against Alabama. DeMarco Hellams had maybe his best day, best day of the season, uh, I would say, and, and a lot of players did. A lot of players did. But DeMarco had uh, nine tackles. 
he has a lot of tackles every week. We're always talking about Helms and his tackle uh, totals, uh, and he put up another big number Saturday. He had a critical pass deflection to save uh, a touchdown. That would have been another touchdown by Bowers, but he was just Johnny on the spot, uh, knocking that down. And that might be a play that sort of gets lost to history. Uh, but there's another play that I think will get lost to history as well. DeMarco had the first interception, Alabama's first interception, and it was a critical inter- interception sort of at the point in the game. It ended a drive, and it was an 11 play, so the interception happened on the 11th play. So it was a Georgia drive, 11 plays. They had moved the ball 56 yards, and they had gotten to the Alabama 19. Uh, Helms picked the ball off and returned it to the 12. And at that point, it was a 14-point game. And so it's a two-possession game, 14 points. Uh, You figure Georgia's coming out of there with points. They're going to get a field goal, potentially get a touchdown, and uh, cut the margin in half. And this also was their first possession coming out of halftime. And so coming out of halftime, Alabama uh, had the ball first. Alabama drove and scored, made it a two-score game. They sat in halftime the whole time knowing that, uh, hey, we're one score, Alabama made it two. Hey, we haven't seen the field yet. Let's get it back to seven. And then everything we talked about at half still applies, right? That's the Georgia mentality. And DeMarco sort of squashed that with that interception. He he ended that possession. Alabama's possession resulting from that interception it resulted in a punt. And so you say, well, it was sort of a meaningless interception, except for it wasn't, except for Georgia was, was driving to score. They had almost a gimme three points. Uh, in terms of ball placement on the field. And again, a big possession coming out of half. They wanted to answer the Alabama touchdown. It was it was very meaningful, that interception. And that may be a play, that may be a significant play that sort of edges out um, in sort of uh, over, over time. And if we think about all of these plays, and we're, gonna, and we're even going to talk about more, but we talk about, well, this play here, it wouldn't have impacted the score based on, you know, the final, you know, the final, score different differential, but these things have additive effects and there's a psychological effect uh, that these plays have. And, and I am convinced that Georgia driving the ball 56 yards, coming out of half, uh, getting to the 19, getting into the red zone, uh, 11 plays, consuming the clock, building some confidence. Hey, we're going to get back to this being a game. And uh, that that's quite a deflator to uh, pick that ball off. Uh, Josh Job had seven tackles, I thought he had a pretty good day. I think he gambled a couple times, and so he'd make a couple of good plays, and then he'd make just not bad plays, but a little bit of suspect. And so uh, I'd like to see him tighten that up a a little bit. Uh, We talked about Helms' uh, interception, Battles' interception. It was a pick six, and that was a backbreaker. You know, jumped out of my seat uh, when that happened, cheered, he scored, sacked back down, catch my breath, we're kicking the point, and I'm like, is this really happening? Is this just, is this real? That touchdown was just truly a, a backbreaker. Um, Toa Toa, I thought, had a, had a decent day. Uh, he did, he was in coverage on one of Georgia's touchdowns, but I'm going to tell you, he was in good position uh, go back and watch that again. He defended that really, really well. He was trying to look back for the ball, maybe got a little bit lost in the lights, but he was in the guy's grill and not in a pass interference sort of way, but in a interrupt there, they're trying to concentrate on catching the ball. Uh, the trick is that was one of the the star tight ends, one of the other star tight ends, uh, five-star uh, tight end that Georgia had, uh, Darnell Washington, who's go, who goes six seven, And so when you're going to throw it up, to a tight end and the guy's already six, seven, you can be in all sorts of good position, but it's hard to be in that good of position. And so you throw it up in the back of the end zone and you let the six, seven guy go climb the ladder and get it. That's a tough one to defend. And so I'm not mad at Toa Toa. He didn't get abused on that one. He just got out athleted uh, in sort of ball placement when you're going against a guy that's six, seven. Kool-Aid McKinstry, I thought, I thought he played well. I thought he put some learning material on tape. Uh, he had a couple of gaffes, and so uh, I think he's going to learn and get better. His instincts are really good. This guy's growing up, and uh, I think studying off of this film the next couple of weeks are going to help him in the playoffs. I do think with Jalen Amar Davis and Josh Job, I think there's three guys there that are going to are compete, going to compete uh, pretty hard for the starting two. You know, in this two game season, right? They're going to compete really hard for those, uh, those starting positions. So that's going to be interesting to see. And if there's an opportunity to get all three of them on the field, then uh, I wouldn't be surprised necessarily 
if there's a package uh, that uh, that has that as well. All right, let's talk special teams. Uh, we're going to go Will Reichert uh, to start like we do often. Uh, he was two, is two, two of two on his field goals and five of five on his PATs. You could say perfect day, great, and move on. But again, these moments in a game that have psychological impacts, I do want to talk about those. And you know what? I think, hell, I think I've blown through my mini game balls. Offensive mini game ball, Seth McLaughlin, for all the reasons that we talked about offensive line. That dude can play. I think he's the starting center for probably the rest of his career at Alabama. And uh, mini game ball on defense. I'm going uh, I'm going Christian Harris. Uh, when you look at uh, Battles uh, pick six, and he had a pretty good return to get it down to the end zone. Well, who is at sort of the gateway to the end zone throwing that last block that lets Battle get into the end zone? It's Christian Harris. That, I think that's an important block. If Alabama gets tackled at the at the five, the three, the six, sort of in, in that range, how do you score that touchdown? There's no running game, and it's an incredibly condensed field to pass in. So that block that allowed the touchdown to score at the as opposed to being tackled at the four is so much bigger than you'd ever think. And so uh again, because we've got a we've got an offense right here with with injured running backs. And so you know, so to me, that was a big block that allowed the touchdown to score. So we don't have to figure out like ah shit, how do we score a three yard touchdown when we don't have any healthy running backs? So I'm glad we didn't have to solve that riddle, right? All right, let's go back to special teams. And it's the same philosophy. We're talking about these little things that add up and have psychological impacts when things are just going your way. And so let's talk about Reichert's two field goals. His first field goal ended uh, an Alabama 79-yard drive that had started on the Alabama 6. And it pushed the lead to seven points. Now, look, you would always rather get a touchdown. Okay, we understand the math on this. But if you're going to drive 79 yards – and you've truly flipped the field. You started at the six, and, you, and you've driven 79 yards. you got to get something. And to get a field goal there was certainly good for the offense. It also, just the way numbers work, it pushed the margin to seven points. And so you always hear the expression, we've said it, you've said it, oh, we'll give them three here uh, as opposed to a touchdown. Well, Georgia said that too. They'd give us three there as well, and so we took it. But when Georgia came back and scored on their next possession, because we hit that field goal to make it a seven-point game, their next touchdown, all it could do was tie it up. And so their next possession, they did tie it up. It made it a 17-up game. But if we had missed that, then their touchdown would have given them the lead. Again, is a three-point differential relative to the final score? No. But the psychological building blocks that that sort of stack up across a game, I think it was subtle, but uh, I think there's material to that. Reichert's second field goal, and again, you can dis- you can dismiss and diffuse sort of my thought process here, and that's okay, but the second field goal made it a 17-point game. It made it a three-possession game, and you can talk about, well, that was made with a buck 59 left on the clock. What's the big deal there? Well, the big deal is that it removed any hope that Georgia had of trying to come back. Think about it. We've all been in the stands. We've all all been in the seats, and and you're clinging to the edge of the cliff to like we've not lost it yet. And the calculus that we can do in our heads around how much time is left and how many points, and if we score quick and to do an onside kick, we can we can tie this thing up, and uh, or we could win. You know, with with the second score and all of that calculus that fans in the stands do and fans on the TV do, and I'm sure Alabama fans were doing it too. When that three points went up to make it, make it a look, and that's a low probability event, right? That they're going to score quickly. Actually, that there's probability, there's greater probability to that than get an onside kick and score again. Those are low probabilities. Yes, they are. Is Georgia a team that's capable of it? Yes, absolutely they are. But when that field goal went in and made it a 17-point game with two minutes, uh, with right at two minutes left, all of that sort of calculus in your head, it flushes. You say, nope, we can't do it. We had stacked up like if, 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 then we might. Wish it, we can't do that. And so suddenly it just flushes it all away. How do I know this? Well, I know this because I've been watching games for a long time. I also know it because I watch the Georgia fans leave. I watch them almost in mass 
get up and walk out of the stadium uh, as soon as that as soon as that field goal was scored. Uh, in fact, there's football clock time. There was a minute, a minute and a half left. Well, they go to commercial for two and a half minutes and uh, sort of screw around a little bit before they kick the ball off. By the time that ball kicked off, 80% of the Georgia fans that were left in the stadium had left. And so you talk about the psychological impact of like <laughs> this game, like we thought it was over. Now we know that it's over. Those three points sort of flipped the switch on that. And it was very, very evident from just the crowd in the stadium. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, James Burnup. Uh, he had five punts, and he did what we were hoping that he could do all season. He averaged uh, 43.8 on his punts. He put one inside the 20. By the way, ESPN is now reporting those stats. I find that interesting. And he had a long of 50, and I believe that's his long, longest kick that he has had all season. So clearly this was his best day uh, in a game where we needed everybody's best day. And so whatever messaging there was about everybody on this team needs to step up and step up your play because we're going against an opponent. I didn't see anywhere where that was not done. I didn't see anywhere where where someone did not step up their play, including, you know, here we are on the punter. Another thing I want to call out on special teams is Kyrie Jackson. He helped down one of the punts that really was at the four or five yard line uh, that really backed Georgia up. And that's a youngster uh, doing that. He's a, he, he's big for a corner. And so he's going to be an interesting player. I'm excited about him. The balance of this season, I am excited about what he's going to bring to the secondary throughout his career. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. He's, he came in late into the game and caught some reps. And so I wouldn't be interested. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of him. And I think he's a name that, uh, that we're all going to grow to enjoy and love in the defensive secondary. All right, so let's talk about what's next. And so we know, like in terms of schedule, College football playoffs are here, baby, and we're in it. And so that is that is phenomenal. It wasn't that many weeks ago where we were resigning ourselves to this team maybe not making it. And here we are, Alabama's in. And what's interesting is the, just the juxtaposition. A couple of weeks ago, I don't know how we would have bet individually, but uh, I, you know, I, I might have bet that we don't make it just because the way the team was playing and the struggles – that we were having, where we were having those struggles relative to who we had to face to get in it, right? Come on, you see the math there. Uh, well, we knocked off Georgia. The team played their best game. Uh, Alabama played their best game, better than maybe even what we hoped they could play, which was phenomenal. So Alabama's in the playoffs. We are ecstatic about that. That feels like the win. That feels like the championship. I know it's the SEC championship. Sometimes we think that is just something we do on the way to the natty, and it is, but – Boy, this one felt more. This one feels richer. This one feels like there's more texture to it than uh, than you know last year's, for example. But we are in the we are in the playoffs. That's the next game on the field. First round in Dallas, December 31st against Cincinnati. And I want to just tell you straight up, we have plenty of time to talk about that, and we will. What now is next up for this team is to rest and recover. Don't get anybody hurt. Don't get anybody dinged up. Don't anybody get themselves in trouble. And uh, let's get these injured players healthy. Let's get our minds right. We've got a statement talking about a two-game season. And let's get our minds right for this two-game season. And um, the fact that we play Cincinnati, don't want to diminish them. I probably want to do a little work on them. But uh, we know that uh, they're not a name-brand program. And then we'll get the winner of Georgia and Michigan. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's Georgia again. So we need to get our minds right, not only as fans, but as a team for that as well. So... Where does that leave us? That leaves us in a very happy moment. Uh, we should celebrate the hell out of the SEC championship. We should probably celebrate it more than we normally do, more than we have historically. There was a point in the game, well, at the end of the game, where they were running through the SEC champions from inception, you know, who won it each year. And you could, there was a round of boos for Auburn, and I think both teams booed Auburn. Uh, there was a smattering of cheer for Georgia because most of their fans had left. And in the old ones, there was a smattering or cheer uh, for the Alabama. And as it got more and more into the current, the cheers got louder and the cheers got louder. And it's amazing how many there were. And uh, when certainly when they brought up the 2021, you know, that was the that was the loudest cheer. And so let's celebrate this for what it is, a significant accomplishment, uh, an accomplishment that maybe we didn't think this team had in them even just a few short weeks ago. Let's celebrate that. And um 
let's get our minds right for the playoffs. I think Alabama does have an opportunity to make a run, and uh, we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, let's get everyone healthy. And in the meantime, thank you all uh, for listening to the podcast, for tracking along with us, following along with us. We so greatly appreciate your support. If there's any questions that you want us to try to tackle during this uh, lull, if you will, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, Alabama football podcast at gmail.com website, Alabama football podcast.com. We have a contact us uh, page there. We're still going to do some zoom calls between now and then. If you've not joined a zoom call, please do join us. We enjoy those times and we've set up just other communication channels for so our, for our Zoom call regulars. And so uh, if you want more of the podcast, there's easy ways to connect with us. And uh, we love every bit of that. I would ask, do us a favor. If you've enjoyed the podcast, if you've enjoyed this, what we do here, share it with someone and head out to where you download podcasts and uh, give us a review. That really helps us as well. All right. With that, uh, which is I'm getting a note. Yes, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus.